Hello, welcome to Maine Education Matters. I'm Matt Drewett Card, your host for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for listening to us, for continuing to join us on our journey through all things Maine, all things education. Even to the, those of you in Maine, well, we know why you listen. To those of you from outside of Maine, whether it's Rhode Island or Florida or wherever you're listening to, uh, why? I don't get it, but thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we are doing a number of continuing conversations in our pod this fall as we are highlighting and spotlighting some of the work that's being done through the Maine Department of Education in particular. We've been having conversations about racism and bias. We've been having conversations about the new learning facilitators program. Today, we are continuing our conversation on social and emotional learning. And today's topic and focus on social emotional learning, since we spend a lot of time talking about kids, justifiably so, let's talk about teachers. Let's talk about the adults in the room because they need supports too and they deserve to have some time focused and centered just on them. Joining me in this conversation today, uh, starting off is our uh, returning champion, number one fan, the Director of Curriculum Assessment for Saco Public Schools, Julie Smythe. Julie, it's so wonderful to have you back on the show. It is so wonderful to be here. And we may need to add number one cheerleader to that list. Yes, we, we have some pom-poms ordered for you. Uh, they should be delivered, uh, well, given the COVID uh, shipping ways, they should be delivered by 2056. So there you go. Also joining us today, continuing the conversation for social emotional learning is Kelly Bailey, the social emotional learning and restorative practices specialist for the Maine Department of Education. Kelly, welcome back. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited to be here to continue the conversation. Oh, believe me, it's my pleasure. It's, it's completely my pleasure and I'm very grateful. Also joining the conversation uh, today to get us even deeper into the weeds and, and, and to really fill out the conversation into in a, a level of expertise, because goodness knows I don't have any, is uh, Bear Shea, the mental health and school counselor specialist for uh, Maine Department of Education. Bear, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, so I got, I, I got titles right. I got names right. I hope that's, that's, that's the first thing. Did I, did I leave anything out that any of you want to share, talk about, about yourselves, aside from being just a cheerleader or just being generally awesome people? Uh, I, I think one of the interesting uh, pieces for both Kelly's and my position is that they're new positions in the DOE um, and they're really specifically designed to be here as supports to the field um, to really have some of that expertise uh, in social emotional learning and restorative practices. And for me, really bringing um, a mental health perspective. It's one of the first times we've had a, a mental health focus in the DOE. So it's um, it was sort of prescient when we started our positions, you know, this time last year and Kelly started um you know, January um, of last, of, well, of this wow. year. Yeah. Uh, and so they're, we're, we're brand new in the department um, and really our roles have pretty drastically changed since the spring, like everyone else's, um, <laughs> but really shifting that focus to the field, which has been um, really great for both of us because we both came right out of the field. I'm a clinical social worker and was a clinical director in public schools. Um, and I'm sure Kelly talked a little bit about her experience. She's been in the weeds, um, you know, working with schools and supporting schools for SEL. So it's, uh, it's both odd, you know, it's odd for me to be out of the field during this time and, and, um, you know, missing students that I was working with and staff I was working with, um, but also really happy to be having this role to, to be able to provide that practical support across the state. 
Yeah, it's 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 weird to think. It's crazy to think about that. It was a year ago that we started to hear these rumblings of this thing that was possibly out there somewhere that might have an impact on us. And here we are a year later, still still grappling with so much of it and how so much of the world has changed so much of everything that we do. And it, it is it is amazing to me to know that. And so actually um, uh, reassuring to me to know that our Department of Education, not even knowing this thing was going to be happening, was already thinking ahead to be creating and having this department and, a, and positions to focus on the social emotional learning because I mean, we, the education field, as you all know, we had seen this coming for many, many, many years. Um, and we've been trying to grapple with it on a individual type basis. But what the department seems to be doing and what's SEL for, for me, that the curriculum that was developed, we talked about in the last episode of this, um, it brings an intentionality to it. It brings a real purpose and focus to it. And I just wanna say from the field, Bear and Kelly, we cannot be more appreciative of all that you have done for us. Um, Matt and I had an opportunity oh. to sit in on a conversation with our commissioner and deputy commissioner, and we feel so supported. These are unprecedented times, we know. Um, but from the field, you know, last spring, when I, I would check in with some of my teachers and they, they would say, oh, I did the 7.30 morning mental health break and it's been oh, so right. helpful. So I don't know if you truly realize the impact of what you have done and what you continue to do, but um, we cannot thank you enough from the field. Really, thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, I think just from the perspective of, of what Bear and I um, and, and our department and with you know full endorsement from the um, from the commissioner, I mean she she wants us to be out there and to be um, to be present and to be you know really relating to the field and not just you know not she wants us to be to be seen and to see you know what's going on and to be a real resource for not just um, students, but for the, you know, the folks that are, that are in the trenches. And mm. Bear and I, we knew that we really needed to do, to do something for teachers um, because the grief and the crisis, you know, the, because of what the crisis um, brought about, we started noticing yeah, that teachers were really, really reaching out for, for so, you know, those supports. So we were happy to be able to provide that you know bookend morning and night every single day and what we saw was that you know teachers were were struggling and having uh, you know really that grief piece and the mental health piece so thank you for for that we appreciate let's, it let's let's talk about those struggles let's talk about those things um what were you seeing i mean and let's talk about it in terms of stages um let's talk about it in terms of like pre-covid as you were just getting into things what were you seeing as some of the challenges teachers were facing? Then when COVID hit, when we were in like the spring and still, and every, everything was, no one knows what's happening. Those, those, that month from really from March to I'd say August, as you know, the summertime people were, uh, districts were developing plans and trying to figure things out, get school board approval. There were monies coming in and no one ever, I think it was just flying everywhere. What was happening with them then and then when the school year began, we're now what three, four months in, something like that. Uh, I I don't do math. I, I just don't count. I don't know. Well, I'm gl I'm really glad we have this six hour um, conversation because you know that's that's it Buckle might in, folks. give us enough time to to talk about that. I mean, I I think going back, and this is sort of a, a weird thing. Like I, I certainly 
I don't want to say like it, it's weird. It's almost like we forget about the time, the time before. Um, and I, th I think that's one of the interesting pieces is that while we had all of these other pieces in place for restorative practices and trauma-informed practices and sort of all this other like good jargony gobbledygook, um, you know, we, that that has really shifted. And, and I think we should talk about that into a much more basic primal need for support. However, all of those pieces that were missing before that we were trying to build supports for, for those students who were affected then, they're they're still affected by those things and um and for for those of us that are dealing with those things in our family um and as professionals those things still exist and so yes we're shifting into a a, a more a, a sort of a tighter focus but you know the workforce issues the um you know having those trauma-informed supports for kids who are experiencing um some really significant um socioeconomic um you know all, all sort of all of the barriers that that come up for our students, um, you know, we we were coming we're coming out of an opioid crisis that is now rebooting. We're um, you know we're looking at um, all sorts of um, you know systemic barriers from um, racism to poverty to you know just basic food um, access. These are all things that existed before that we were really trying to work on developing. Uh, really a, a broad understanding and awareness, and then starting to put in place some of the best practices. Um, and so there was, there was a huge lift before this happened, and there was a huge lift that um, that educators were filling. And I, I think that's one of the, the pieces that I, I think about, you know, now we talk about educators like stepping in to, to fill the gap for COVID, but that's something we've always been asked to do as educators. We've always been there to fill those gaps you know, to, to take what should be an academic institution and really fill it in as a social institution. Um, and, and no, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, I, continue. no I, I think, you know, now we're, we're stepping in even more. I, I, I think mm. um, that transition from the, the before time, um, you know, it's, it, we were already asked to do a lot and we were yeah. doing. So do you think then that in, in, in the before times and then in the now times, um, that's very Thunderdome Mad Maxi. Um, I know it's a little intense. It's it's it's, it's intense, right? Um, do you th have you seen a wider swath of intentionality or purpose or real desire to embed these social emotional trauma informed practices, restorative practices, and whatnot into districts? Like a more urgency, a bigger need for that than it was before. So. Before it might have been ah touchy feely stuff ah we don't want to deal with that and but since COVID it's been like well no actually this is truly essential critical information kind of like how a lot of people thought ah the internet's it's not essential that's not an important thing but once we had to do go all fully remote with everything well no it's pretty pretty damn essential so I'm just wondering what you're seeing in terms of or have seen in terms of that, in terms of changes from the staffs, from the districts, from the perspectives. Julie, what are your thoughts? You're in the schools, you're seeing it firsthand. Right. As I've said before, I'm, I'm really proud of the foundation that we provided our staff members. Um, but I wanna bring us back for a second because sometimes I sort of go toe to toe with educators who say, well, it's not about the adults. It, you're, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's about the kids. And we would be remiss if we didn't point out again how important it is that, and Kelly, it goes back to what you've, you've taught me about, you know, neurodevelopment, that 
when that stress is right at the at the tip, how how can we be there as adults to care for and to do all of those things that Bear said we've always been doing? So I, I hate that you know all of the foundation that you know we've sort of provided our educators in my district. Um, that it's come to this crisis for it, but it's so important. If mm. we do not take care of ourselves as leaders, as teachers, as caregivers for these children, how can we expect them to learn from us and to truly flourish as lifelong learners? Yeah, and I think that's sort of that un unfortunate benefit. I'm not even gonna call it a silver lining because it's not, <laughs> but is that awareness of um, you know mental health, of, of social emotional health, you know, of the importance of sports, of the importance of relationship, but, you know, all these things that, you know, we sort of have talked about, but realizing how crucial and critical they are, um, and not just to students, but talking with um, band teachers and coaches and, um, you know, extracurricular uh, educators who were going through a tremendous amount of grief in the spring because they didn't, they didn't have that passion and connection and that was something that they lost. It's, it wasn't just that they, you know, were worried about their students, because of course we are. There's also that piece for us as um, not just as professionals, but as human beings who care about people and who have passion. I mean, that's what we do. Um, and that, that grief yeah. for us is tough. Yeah, I, it's, it, it's one of the things that I, I don't think people outside of the field truly understand about educators and the reason why we do this work and the reason why we stay with this work. I know some educators get in for a couple of years and then leave, but the, those who are there for five, 10, 15, 20, 40 years, they're there for one reason only, and it ain't the money. They're there because there's this real connection and passion and love for working with the kids. And it's a real thing that people just don't understand. It's not a job. It's a way of life. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a part of an essence of who we are. And like there's it, without it there, it's like there's a huge component of our life that's missing, is gone, is empty. And I saw that that tragedy with our staff, with friends of mine, with myself. Just seeing, go, not he, I don't even get to work with kids that much anymore, being an evil administrator. But not hearing the kids in the building was hurtful it really it was it was really sad and tragic not having those voices around and people outside of the field don't necessarily understand the depth of which the caring goes into our work goes into the work goes into the stuff that we do every day so what kind of an impact has this whole thing had on us as the adults in the in the room trying to manage and trying to deal with our own families and trying to deal with our own situations our own fears and also having this emptiness that's been that, that had that was there for a while that luckily got in some ways refilled in the fall I, and i think that that sort of emptiness you know we have a hard time talking about grief and sadness and loss Right. And, and culturally, as you know, particularly in the Northeast, we are really stalwart and stable and individually focused. And yes, we will pitch in and help out our neighbors when there is a snowstorm. But when it comes to, to these types of pieces, we tend to isolate ourselves. Um, and yes, we reach out to our community members when there's grief. 
but sort of the expectation is, is that we handle this and, and it, it makes it really difficult when we're all experiencing this at the same time. And that this is a human experience of loss and that we're losing things when we are separated from each other. And that from a primal space in our brains, that connectiveness is survival. And when we're not connected and we don't have those, um, those tethers, we really, our brains start to spiral. Um, and, and we go through a, a grieving process just by not being with each other. And, you know, it's something Kelly and I talked a lot about in the spring, knowing that that was happening um, and, and sort of trying to name it because it's different when you say, you know, oh, it's I'm just not feeling great. Like, of course, I'm stressed out or, you know, yeah, I, I wish I could be doing these things. But when you say like you are grieving a loss, when you put it into that terms and, and we go through the same grieving process we would if we lost a loved one because we have lost something that we love. That time in the spring where we got sort of yanked out of schools, um, it, it, it very much could have been a traumatic piece for us. Um, and particularly now when we're talking about, could we get yanked out of schools again, mm -hmm. right? I, I think there's this sort of like unease of like, is this going to happen? Should it happen? I don't want it to happen. I do want it to happen. Um, and that, that unknown just really plays havoc on our poor brains. Yeah, and from a, an emotional intelligence piece, you know what we're what what we're working to to help all adults um, understand is is that we need to build our self awareness around that so that we can have the foundation to cope and to uh, and to reach out and build those relationships. You know, if we're in that automaticity place, just sludging through, slogging through the day, and like Julie said, you know, not really understanding that our brains are in that survival place. You know, if we're not in a place where our executive function brain, that prefrontal cortex is engaged and integrated and regulated, that's what we're bringing to our classrooms, whether we're doing that from a real-time perspective or on a screen. And so, taking care of ourselves, teachers taking care of teachers, making sure that we're feeling that safety, that connection and that regulation of our central nervous system is so critical because we can't keep moving. Our bodies are not equipped to deal with toxic long-term stress. When that neurochemistry of our body changes into fight, flight, freeze, submit, then that's what we're bringing. And Bear has this great, you know, um, soft shoe about telomeres and, you know, mirror neurons. And, you know, we, what happens when we continue to bring that we break down, it's not sustainable. It's not what we're, we're meant to do. And um, that really brings us back to this whole, you know, how we started this discussion is why is it so critically important for teachers to take care of teachers? And what do we do? What kinds of things do we put into place in our schools so that teachers aren't feeling this or anybody who's working in school, I'm talking about bus drivers, I'm talking about people who bring right. it, you know, serve lunches, uh, people who are in the office, you know, people who are cleaning our schools, we're all feeling that stress. And so it's really important when we're talking about social emotional learning for students and building climates and cultures that are, you know, sh showing safety and connection, that the teachers and the people, the humans, the adults that are walking and, and, you know, supporting that also have that opportunity to you know, have that integrated place of whew, because we don't, we hit the floor running, you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. alarm clock goes off. I know I've got a principle for a husband, the alarm clock goes off at five 30, swings his feet out of the bed and boom, you know, he's on it and out the door and doesn't come home till seven o'clock at night. And then the computer's on the lap. So when are we taking moments in our day to feel, 
you know, uh, that sense of calm, that sense of peace, that sense of, you know, I'm okay in this moment, even when everything else is kind of spiraling out of control. You know, in addition to naming it as, you know, Bear mentioned, you know, acknowledging that we're grieving, you know, name it to tame it. It's, it goes back to also what can we control? You know, Matt, you mentioned how sad it, it is not to hear the students or not to have heard the students' voices in the spring and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And now, even though we're in November, I was counting up, we've only seen cohort A students, you know, 20 some odd days, which is like September in, in regular non-COVID time. But I bring it back to what can we control and what can't we control? I can't control that I can't go into the other four buildings in my district and surround my teachers with, with the love and, and support that I normally do, but I can control reaching out to them and, and letting them know and, and putting in an order of SEL books for their classroom so that they, they know that I'm still there cheering for them and, and pulling for them. So I just, I go back to, let's, what can we control? We can control how we respond, how we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of our students and those around us. And Julie, you know, just what you're doing right there is from an administrative place is where we have to start. We really have to build that awareness with the people who are making decisions about what's good for the humans that are in those buildings and having, you know, administrators and school boards and superintendents really understand how important social emotional learning and emotional intelligence is, is our first line of um, how we, how we really, um, attack this, you know, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to use the word attack, but that was the one that came to my mind, oh, but fine. you know, we have to have people yeah. on board. Yeah, my challenge to superintendents in our state, you know, when you think about even next year, when it comes to your professional growth and evaluation plans, please encourage your staff members to have a goal around self-care. How are you going to um, take care of yourself? Let's really highlight it and, and make it important. Our commissioner of education, you know, she walks the walk by having people, great people like you on board. Um, so I, I challenge to let's, let's put that self-care so that we can then in turn truly teach um, our hearts out for those kids. Let's keep going down this road because I'd like to get to some, I always like to have actionable steps if possible. Um, I don't like to have a conversation where we just stick up in the ether and then everything just stays there. So let's see what we can do. Um, the, the, the 17 people who listen to this show, um, many of them are administrators in districts, whether it's a principal level or a curriculum director level or assistant superintendent level, maybe some superintendents listen. Um, what would, uh, Julie just gave something right there, but hey, Let's start focusing on our evaluation system. Let's say, how do we make it more intentional and um, reflective for our teachers in that particular perspective to make sure that they're building into their lives that from a, from a systemic level. What else can administrators, whether at a building level, a district level, both school board level, what are things they could do tomorrow to put into play? I, I mean, a, a good place to start is going back to that basic awareness and understanding. And, and I think, um, you know, connecting with that idea of who we are as educators and what fuels us and, and what the, the stress points are. And, and really, I think 
understanding that, um, you know, we as educators tend to be much better at taking care of students than we are at taking care of ourselves. <laughs> and that that means as leadership, we really need to be taking care of those who are taking care of students. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, acknowledging the needs and process that are happening right now. I, I think, again, we tend in Maine particularly to be very much like, all right, there was six feet of snow and we're all going to dig out together and we're just going to kind of keep marching forward and ignore the fact that we are snowed in. Um, and I think that mentality gets us through in those smaller, um, in those smaller times of uh, barrier and, and difficulty. What we're going through now is something that culturally we haven't gone through before. We're, we're used to small, you know, we're used to weather events and, um, you know, significant, uh, significant tragedy in, in short periods of time. This is something that has gone on and will continue to go on. And so I think um, really being able to understand and acknowledge the mental load that, that educators are carrying and that it's different than, than others, that, you know, not only do we step in to fill the gap and, and we will sacrifice ourselves to do that, but that um, that load we carry, we, we don't only care about our jobs and our professions, we care about our students deeply and we understand the effect that this pandemic has on them and on their families and on their communities. You know, and, and that's a whole extra set of mental uh, weights that we carry as educators and, and, you know, leadership being aware of that and really supporting. And, and I think there's a certain amount of validation that really is helpful. You know, sometimes it does help to sort of like, all right, I'm just going to ignore and I'm going to soldier forward and, and get through this and then deal with it later whenever we actually get to deal with it later, because that, that rarely happens. But in this case, you know, we've only been able to soldier so far. Um, this will be this this has already gotten past us. And so then we need to shift into how do we validate, how do we acknowledge and, and recognize that there are so many things we can't affect and, and can't control. And where are the pieces we can control? I, I want to hop on for a second. Sorry, Kel. Um, again, referencing the conversation that Matt and I were able to attend earlier this week and and Commissioner Macon talking about, we need to shift the conversation that when we have educators who start to talk about deficits, how do we as leaders, I mean, we, we have what we have. And Matt, maybe you can articulate this better than I can, but I've really been reflecting a lot of, about that conversation. Yeah. We can't control a lot of what has happened, but we can control the narrative and we can start doing Correct. that tomorrow. We can, and it, it drives me, one of the things that makes me, drive, drive me crazy for many years, but it's been exacerbated because of this COVID epidemic, is this idea that kids are behind, is this idea. And that adds so much level of stress and anxiety unnecessarily to our kids, to our teachers, to our administrators, to our parents, when the reality is, hang on, everyone left at the same time. No one's behind. They're all the, the only thing that they're behind in is these arbitrary benchmarks that we've created. We made them, we can remake them, we can unmake them. And I, I get really upset and sick and tired of when I hear uh, people out, out there saying, well, all this learning loss is happening. No, there's not learning loss. Learning loss implies that you had it, now you don't have it anymore. It's not that, it's just that everyone just stopped for a bit. They paused where they were. And the reality is there was no loss. It's just where you are. 
And if but we finally get that. to a recognition of just this is what we should be looking at, not whether or not they're meeting these things and they're behind or they're ahead. No, this is just where you are. That's it. Yeah. And that's that focus like um, you were bringing up earlier about the being, being present in that right. moment, not necessarily thinking about, um, oh, they're so, they're so far behind and they're going to fail these tests and then oh, we're going to lose all our funding or what, or we're going to get into trouble or whatever it is. All that stuff adds onto the building uh, the levels of anxiety. So when, when we're talking about things that I, that I would hope that administrators or administrative teams leadership can do for our schools, from my perspective, what I would love to see is to say to them, hey, let's stop focusing on the testing, please. You know, we have to do that for funding purposes and et cetera, but let's use, find information that we can have and use it to improve the instruction, but we're not gonna use it in evaluative ways. Um, how can we get that judgment out? Because that leads to a more of a buy-in, more of a feeling of, I want to be a part of this situation as opposed to something's happening to me, I'm actually part of it. Um, so Kelly, you wanted to say something a minute ago. Oh, I was just, I Sorry, mean- I went on um, a little tangent there. No, it was, it, it's great. And it's, it's, you know, all of the things that, that we care about so much. And we know that we have an opportunity to really maybe even reimagine education because, you know, this crisis has given us an opportunity to pause and to see, you know, what is important to, to children and to people who are taking care of children and recognizing, I mean, I've always referenced, you know, Warren community schools where I just came from, um, I've uh, spent 10 years there, they talk about, you know, schools being a relationship-based place. And we know that social emotional learning, everything about that is about the relationships within the halls and, and you know, in the classrooms. And, you know, Bear and I have been very purposeful in what we've been able to, to do together um, from an action-oriented place. We've put together a series of trainings. So if, um, you know, we have superintendents out there listening or um, administrators out there listening who are saying, I just don't, you know, I, I'm I agree with everything, but how do I do it? What do I do? Mm -hmm. What are our first steps? They can check out, um, you know, Bear's website. They can check out my website. They can look at the SEL for me um, landing page. And there are um, emotional intelligence training for adults, specifically for adults. Bear's put together um, several trainings about the importance of mm -hmm. mental health for our adults and how that, you know, trans transfers to the well-being of our, of our children. I have a um, a webinar out there about the importance of regulation so that we can help students co-regulate. And, you know, we have to do that. We have to be purposeful about checking in with ourselves. Am I ready to teach? Am I ready to um, see these kiddos, you know, these children come on the screen and, you know, am I ready to um, have them come into the classroom? What is my mindset? Where am I in, you know, in, in my ability to, to teach? Am I ready? Am I, have I done my work so that I am calm and cool and, and ready to, you know, ready to roll? Or am I just in that automaticity place? So I hope anybody who's listening will take advantage of those trainings because they are professional development trainings and teachers and anyone who listens to them can get contact hours. So that that's always a <laughs> that's good important. thing, right? Teachers always want need contact hours. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to maybe add to that? Yeah, I think it's interesting when we, when we start thinking about it from uh, starting from a place of safety, you know, thinking about mental health as feeling safe and secure in a space and that, you know, we know research shows that when you feel safe and secure, you test better, you perform better in academics. And mm -hmm. how many decades of research have we had about resilience 
and that you know the the number one indicator for resilience isn't academic rigor it's not high test scores it is a, a foundational non-judgmental consistent relationship with a caring adult right and that's that's what we do as as educators yeah. that's what we do across the board whether we are you know um you know janitors who are interacting with kids um, you know, secretaries who, who, who are there to have that relationship with kids, teachers in the classroom, you know, coaches, um, you know, leadership who go the extra mile, all of those pieces, that's what leads for resilience. And, you know, we can talk, obviously success is important and, and nothing we're doing right now is, is ideal. And I say this over and over again, like this isn't the new normal, like we're still in a crisis, right? Like, right. We, we, we aren't going to get back to the things that we know are best. And, and we're, of course, we're lamenting, you know, not having in school instruction and missing out on the quality, um, you know, education pieces we know are successful. And, you know, we know that kids uh, who have been in some of the worst circumstances in, in the world have lived, you know, years in refugee camps, have, have lived with chronic neglect and abuse when they have supports they become doctors and lawyers and our most successful academians. And right. so how do we look at putting those supports in place? Because those are things that some of those things we can control being that pillar of resilience for kids. Um, I mean, that's, that's what we do. No, no other profession gets to do that. That's, that's our specialty. Um, and in order to be that pillar, we need to make sure that we have the support structure to make sure that we are that strong pillar for kids when they need it. Um, and, and we've got to have our own structure so that there are lots of pillars standing in unison, all supported, um, and, and that that edifice is strong because without it, we're, we won't be able to be that for our kids. It makes me think like for years, our districts, our schools, and a lot of folks, and I don't know if it's a New England thing or if it's an international, national thing, but would see this mountain of research uh, that you were just talking about on what we should be doing, how we should be behaving. And, and the response would be, yeah, but still, you know? And it would say, so what, we, we see all that, but we're, yeah, we, we, we hear it. And I'm, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm hoping and what I'm hoping this conversation is also helping to enlighten is that that argument can't happen anymore and that argument isn't happening anymore. And hopefully many districts many teachers, many school board members, administrators, students themselves, parents and guardians are realizing that maybe the way in which we were starting with the academics first, maybe there's a better way for really getting, if we want the academics, maybe just starting with academics, maybe that's not the right way to do things, you know? Maybe there might, there might be a different way. There might be a way that the research is showing us, no, you got to create a safe, welcoming environment first. And what do those things mean? What is, how, do, how might we create that? And then looking at what we exist and have, and to what extent do what we currently have fly in the face of those things and having those really hard conversations? I do want to say one. Oh, sorry, Brad, do you want to say something? Well, it's just it's it's funny because um, you know you can you can hear you know me the social worker and Kelly the SEL specialist like we can talk about caring about kids and relationships and that it's important for safety and that's going to increase academics and all those things. I think what gets really interesting is um, the commissioner created a main school safety center in January as well, 
And the role of the, of the main school safety center is really about safety. It's really about security in schools. It's working with emergency management systems and, and putting protocols in place it is a very uh, efficient, um, you know, sort of that, that classic emergency machine um, to be, to work across the state. And Jonathan Shapiro, who is the, um, you know, sort of director of the main school safety center is a, you know, former state trooper and, um, you know, a, a jovial, but relatively severe guy. Um, and uh, it's great because he will get up in front of a, a group of emergency management specialists and talk about prevention and talk about relationships as the foundation for safety. And that we know that the research is showing that we're talking about reducing school violence. We're talking about reducing bullying and um, isolation mm. of kids that's leading to violence. We're talking about reducing suicidal ideation and um, you know, students harming themselves. All of those things are being done through school safety, not through bringing in metal detectors and hardening the building, but really through building <laughs> safe, secure and caring relationships. And I mean, that's that is a, a novel approach, but it also follows all of the research. Um, I mean, that's that's working with not only our, our state leadership, but also um, the Secret Service in developing, uh, you know, approaches to um, dealing with uh, school threats and, and making sure that students are getting full wraparound supports um, as part of that threat assessment, not being uh, moved into you know the the juvenile justice system, but really getting the supports in place. That's what we're talking about: is safety and security. So it it's just it's sure. really that other side of the coin um, for how we are doing this, but it's in complete alignment and and it follows that research that you're talking about, Matt. So before we start wrapping up, I did want to mention, I want to bring up one thing. because we talked about teachers taking care of teachers and we talked a little bit about some things that they can do. They can work on naming things, being in the moment, controlling what we can control, validating the situation that we're in. And a lot of that stems from not only what they can do, but from the environment and the things that our leadership creates. Well, can we take a few minutes and say, what can our leaders do for themselves? Because um, if they're the ones having to promote and lead and do all that stuff, they're going through all this stuff just as well. So I know a lot of leaders listen to this and I care about them. Maybe I'm being selfish. Uh, so what can our educational leaders, those people in leadership, administration, superintendent wise, what are some things that they can do to take care of themselves? I think the first one is permission, you know, uh, recognizing uh, Julie is a, a leader. So I, I want to give her an opportunity to jump Absolutely in and, and share what she's doing in her in her um, district. But just, you know, from the perspective of my own husband, who's been in education for 30 years first as a teacher and, you know, the last 10 or so as a as an administrator is allowing a, a shift in his mindset in that it's OK for me as an as a leader to encourage self-care and to not make it this fluffy thing that, you know, and to recognize that he needs to take a breath before he talks to his staff or he needs to check in with himself before he, um, you know, starts a staff meeting or tries to do a restorative, you know, practice circle or, you know, just making sure that you're, you're building your own emotional intelligence. I know I feel like I just keep going back and back to this, but it really goes back to the permission, understanding that our commissioner of education is being very um, forthright in saying, 
the only way that we're going to combat this is to be intentional and purposeful in having an awareness in what we need to really make schools safe and connected places for kids. So that starts with school boards, superintendents, and administrators understanding the absolute critical importance, the essentialness of being present and not, not putting the urgency on the outcome of assessments or teachers, you know, uh, being um, evaluated by what's happening from assessment place. And, and that is the merit of their success as an educator, but really understanding that we need to shift into relationship-based places and helping everyone, including teachers, feel safe and connected in their schools. Julie. I just think it's about showing you care and walking the walk. Um, as, as much as I grieve not being able to meet with my curriculum teams like I have in the past, and I grieve not being able to talk with my instructional coaches, what I can control is that I am at this place with SACO Pre-K where I have approximately 20 staff members that are looking to me for you know, positivity and guidance. And I take time every few months to meet with them one-on-one -on -one for 30 minutes on Wednesdays when we have our flex day. And the purpose of that is I want them to have my undivided attention. I want them to know how much I care. And then we talk about how incredible I feel after I've had that time with them. And I encourage them, maybe you could do that one-on-one -on -one with your students. And last week, one of my ed techs said, I met with 12 out of 17 of our kids today and it was one of the best days ever. So it's leading by example, it's being willing to put that time in um, and just letting people see that you love what you do and you got into this profession, not because you wanted to teach iambic pentameter in Shakespeare, but <laughs> because, <laughs> which I did enjoy that by the way, um, but because you love being around people and bringing out the best in them. I think, you know, school leadership right now is in a, a really unique position. I mean, as educators, but really as leadership, I mean, we're, we're really talking about making decisions that are life and death. Um, and, and I think acknowledging that and, and the intensity of that, I mean, the school leadership has always had such a high level of responsibility and, and really a caretaking role, um, not just for students, but for, for staff and, and all the pieces, all the systems that are part of a school or district. Mm. And I think acknowledging this new level of responsibility of really of intensity, um, I put together a, a training towards the end of the summer, really focused specifically on school leadership. So please um, check that out. It's, it's on my school counseling page. Um, and it's, it's really directed at school leaderships and that unique piece. You know, as school leaders, we're members of the community, right? Like we can't go out and shop without parents coming up and, and talking to us about, you know, what's going on and, right. and that, that we can't get away from it. Um, and so that that piece is so important to acknowledge and it's different. It, it, it is a different role. So please, it, I made it like 25 minutes. I tried to make the training as quick and short as possible because I know our time is so valuable. Um, so is. please, please check that out. No, I think you hit on something really important there, Bear, which is um, our, our roles and our lives and our jobs in this profession can be all consuming to everything that we do. I don't know about any of you, but I have two young kids at home. So I wake up, it's school. I go to work, it's school. I come home, it's school. That's, 
that's life. That that's my whole realm and world. And I know that so many of our educational leaders and our educators, it's that too. That's what it is. And when everything about school is different, is stressful, is um, really pushing our envelopes to be like, I don't know what I can take anymore. I don't know how, how this is happening at all different realms, at all different levels of you, it can be exhausting. So I, I, I know one thing that's, have, that's helped me, and I'll be vulnerable here for a minute, um, that's helped me over this last six months or so is I have um, created, or not created, I've been part of this small group of people who've come together and we play Dungeons and Dragons once a week. It's ridiculous, but every, I, it is something, honestly, that for me, it's my ability to just do something where I am completely removed from school for two hours or so a week. Do you know how refreshing that is to just be able to step away and to immerse myself into something else? That is something that I know is then very beneficial to me. I'm very thankful for my friends who have helped push that forward because I know it has helped get me through the last six months. And I encourage any of our educational leaders to find something and make it a point to say, no, 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 no matter what happens, this doesn't move. This happens no matter what. I mean, sicknesses happen and those things, we have to delay things, but to create time in your life and in your world for something away from it all. I don't know if that's even, if there's any research to that, but I just wanted to share that is something that has helped me tremendously. And if it can help anybody else, I hope it does. Uh, as we wrap up, because I know we've been for a while now, um, are any parting thoughts people you all want to share to our educators out there um, as we approach the new year? And what is it, it, it going to be a new year? <laughs> It, it will be, it will be 2021 at some point and it, it will be a new, a new year. 2020 will have officially left. Thank goodness. Um, and so, yeah, it, it will be, I guess. Go ahead, Julie. I want to speak before Kelly Bailey, because I know that she'll have a mic drop moment. Um, <laughs> Add some pressure, Julie. Yeah, Add sorry. some pressure. <laughs> I love you, Kel. I love you. Um, I just want to say to educational leaders, to educators out there, to just, I'm so appreciative of all that, that you do. Give yourself the grace to um, just take a step back, yeah. take some time for yourself. Um, what can you control? What can't you control? And um and know that there's support out there for all of us, whether it's your group math that you, you turn to for two hours a week or um, the colleague who teaches next to you, but know that there are supports out there and you, you control the narrative, you control what comes out of you um, and know that you are supported and you are so appreciated through all of this. 
Yeah, I don't know how to follow that up because I think that was really the mic drop moment. Um, I, I so. just, I you know, would like to express my gratitude for having um, a forums like this, opportunities for us to come together and just show our appreciation for the field and everyone who's out there working for children and to keep them safe and connected. And, you know, Matt, just to follow up on your Dungeon and Dragon uh, moment, you know, I think about when we're little children and we're running about and we're just being free and not thinking or caring about anything, having that little, you know, even there's a lot of research about, you know, children who come from trauma, but have that moment of just, you know, being free and running and playing. And, you know, there's something that happens in the brain, the neurochemistry shifts from crisis moment for just a bit to this, you know, just this lovely freedom of all of that stress. And I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to take small, still small moments throughout our day to reset, reframe and refocus. Give yourself a minute to breathe on purpose. Give yourself a minute to go outside and look at the sky, you know, at the sky, look at the clouds going by, you know, just get away from it from a set for a second so that you can remember mm -hmm. that we are human beings. We are doing the best we can. We are enough. We're doing the best we know how nobody's prepared for this nobody was and so just you know giving yourselves ourselves a little bit of a break and knowing that you know in this moment i am okay and i'm doing the best i can and it's doing those things intentionally you know we we talk so much about self-care and wellness as educators and yet how many of us are actually doing it you know there there are things that uh that, that make us feel good and feel better that we naturally do but in the middle of a pandemic and, and this long-term crisis, we have to put in place things intentionally that are equal to this stress. You know, we have to carve out, as Matt said, that, that strange bit of time that maybe we normally wouldn't have, but that now has become an anchor. And, and finding that for ourselves, really being intentional in matching the level of care that we need to the level of stress and crisis that is going on is so key and so important. Um, and it, it, that's what makes all the difference. It's, it's, I've said this, it's sort of these obnoxiously obvious things that we all know that we all tell our students, like get sleep, get the right food, make sure you're, you know, you're meeting these basic needs, but how many of us are actually doing that for ourselves? And, and so really right. rising to that intention, putting it in place to take care of ourselves so that we're taking care of our students and just thank you all. Thank you for taking care of my students. You know, while, while I've been in this role and, and I'm really happy and Kelly and I both are here to support you. So please reach out to us. Um, please go through the resources that we have and ask for resources that you need so that we can try to put them in place. Um, so thank you all so much for, for everything that you're doing to keep our, our students safe and our community safe. Um, so much appreciation. And for information that for the, from the Department of Education, for if I want to get in contact with Kelly, I want to get in contact with Bear, Go to uh, main.gov slash DOE slash SEL. Uh, very easy website to get to and, and, and find. You can find uh, Julie on Twitter. You can find Julie out there in the, in the etherwebs. Um, it's a series of tubes that's out there that brings communication from place to place. Um, for us, of course, we're on Twitter at Main Ed Matters and Facebook, Main Education Matters. Um, now that those are done, uh, Kelly, Bear, Julie, I cannot thank you enough for this amazing conversation. It went a little bit longer than I was hoping for, but I just could not get out of it. And I, cause I, as I was just so deep into it and I loved every second of it. And I thank you. Thank you so very much for your time and for sharing all of your excellence and amazingness, amazingness and awesome sauce with everyone. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. 
And with that, bye.